hike on here and see who might jump on with me and just do some, uh, just share some thinking that I'm having, just do some musings, uh, <clears throat> on here and think out loud. I've been doing some reflecting, um, on my life. My birthday was in August and I always start reflecting on the past and the future in August. And sometimes it carries over into, uh, December with the new year and January. I can make some New Year's resolutions and stuff, but just been thinking back on, uh, this whole journey that I've been on of that we call deconstruction or probably more appropriately named, uh, doubting your faith, questioning your faith, leaving your faith. A lot of us are on this journey. A lot of people on my YouTube channel. Um, a lot of people on Facebook, a lot of people that I know personally, uh, we've been going through this process for a number of years of, um, you know, I, I can just speak for myself, but everything was so certain. Uh, I had the Christian worldview. I had the biblical worldview. I understood my existence in terms of <clears throat> Christian spirituality and Christian cosmology and knew who I was and didn't challenge that, didn't think through that very much, <clears throat> at least not to the degree that I have in the last few years. And then you start asking questions. Things don't fit. You have more life experiences. I had more life experiences. I had more uh, data points, if you will, to take into consideration. And <clears throat> so, you know, it started out with questions. It started out with research, things like, is the Bible Trust for a trustworthy record of past events. Is it inerrant, meaning without error? Is it inspired? Is it something that we should take seriously and live by? Should we keep parts of it and throw parts of it away or should we throw all of it away? And then began exploring alter, alternative spirituality. You know, things like in the metaphysical community, the holistic community, the new age movement, um, other spiritual paths, looking at Eastern religions like Buddhism and aspects of Hinduism and yoga and just going through a number of, uh, tourism visits with other forms of spirituality. And I'm not comfortable just being a tourist when it comes to these things. When I went into Christianity, I went all in. When I went into becoming a therapist and working with people to help them heal, to help them get over things like anxiety and depression and various different uh, problems that they were having. I went all in, got tons of training, wanted to be very good at something. And so it's hard, you know, it's hard for me spending all these years developing an expertise as a pastor, getting the training that I needed, developing the people skills, developing the leadership abilities, learning more about the Bible and feeling like I had an area that I had rounded out about my mid forties and then life comes along and shakes that up. And I begin questioning, I begin looking at things and then those questions led to doubts. And then those doubts led to uh, me changing my mind, confidently changing my mind because, you know, I had more data points to consider. And then what's next after that? Like the deconstruction phase is somewhat invigorating. It's liberating. It's freeing. It promotes growth. When you're stuck in uh, religion where you don't ask any questions, you don't struggle with life's questions, everything is just very black and white and ordered and cut and dry. 
you don't do a lot of the thinking through for yourself. You don't, you definitely, at least in my case, don't do any kind of self-discovery. You don't really get to know yourself because yourself just becomes this sort of mimicked version of everybody else that believes like you do. In other words, if I could define religion, it's all just a, it's just a meme where we get together and we, we meme each other, we mimic each other, we copy each other and we become copies of one another. And so there's a lot of self-exploration that's not allowed to go on. And so deconstruction for me was really great because it let me do some of the self-discovery. It let me grow. It let me expand my mind. It let me drop some judgmentalism. Uh, it let me drop some prejudices that I had towards other people that didn't believe like me or think like me. Uh, and it humbled me for sure. You know, when you think you've got the absolute truth and you are a spokesman for God for the absolute truth, uh, that can be intoxic, that can be intoxicating. Uh, that can lead to a lot of problems, but it can also be very binding. It can be very constricting because you have this image that you have to maintain, not just to the public. If you have integrity, <clears throat> I mean, a lot of people out there, they don't have integrity in that they're trying to maintain this image when they're not in public. But when you really believe it and you really buy into it, you've got this image of who you're supposed to be and who you want to be and who you're projecting yourself out there as that you have to maintain not only for the public, but you have to maintain it also for yourself. And you just become this cardboard version of yourself. And so those were some of the positive things that came out of deconstruction and it was it was an adventure it was fun exploring different forms of spirituality it, it is fun and then had a group of people sort of a tribe if you will that was going along on this same process we were walking the same path together and you're walking with people and you see people take various different exit points along this journey that we call deconstruction or whatever term you want to use to describe it some people resolve their questions and their doubts and they stay in the faith or they return to the faith. Uh, a lot of people seem to make one of two choices. They off ramp really quickly into alternative forms of spirituality. They get into, uh, new age metaphysical type stuff. They get into other spiritual paths that work for them, but they off ramp really quickly. And again, um, I just, I didn't want to be a tourist. You know, I didn't want to take the off ramp and stop at the gas station of the new age movement and say, Oh, wow, this is really cool and necessarily camp out there or whatever other form of alternative spirituality that I might have looked at. And then other people and a lot of people, a lot of people on the religious trauma recovery page, uh, end up in atheism. They end up just materialists. They end up believing there is no God and they just focused on materialism and science and things like this. And that's, that's fine if that works for them. But I knew that that wasn't going to work for me. And I might get into some of the reasons why that doesn't work for me or I might not. We'll just see where this goes. I don't have any notes. I'm just kind of processing on here with you guys and thinking out loud. I'd love to see your comments. I'll probably put this up. Uh, I might put this up on YouTube and see. Oh, no, I won't put this up on YouTube because I didn't record it. So this is just for my Facebook friends uh, and anybody that's that's watching or or listening. But at the end of the day, you uh, at least for me, you have to land somewhere. And so just on this journey, on this pathway, 
deconstructing, deconstructing from really my very identity, my very uh, sense of purpose and existence and uh, being left with questions about like, well, then what is the nature of reality? What is the nature of the cosmos? Who is God? What is spiritual and what is not? Is there anything spiritual? Is it all just material reality and stuff that's out there? And so I just wanted to share a few thoughts that I have on some of this. I think one of the problems that we have in our society is that we are very much still stuck in a dualistic mind frame when it comes to stuff. We're we're stuck in this sort of either or black and white polarities, uh good and evil, um, God, no God, uh things of this nature, uh, spirituality and materialism. I would definitely put those things in there as well. And we tend to want to make decisions that are very binary for us. So it's real easy, you know, if I was a Christian that believed in the God of the Bible, that believed in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that believed in the Holy Spirit, that believed in the second coming, and then I start examining those things and I find out, wait a minute, there's there's a lot of stuff here that's suspect. There's a lot of things that absolutely cannot be proven. The existence of God cannot be proven. The um, you know, people are arguing about even the historicity of Jesus, much less the, the fact that he even lived as a, as a figure. You know, what were the Gospels? Were they accounts of a person's life called Jesus? And did he do all those things that they said he did? Or is it was it some philosophy or mythology that got spun and put out there? Was it the spiritual path that Jesus represents something or someone but wasn't a historical person? And you start looking at all this stuff, and it becomes very, very difficult to come up with really, really solid, concrete answers. And so in the case of atheism, for example, a lot of people in our culture, they've only ever been exposed to an image of God that is the God in the sky, the sky daddy or the, the you know, old man floating around in the sky who's uh, ticked off at humanity most of the time and, you know, sending floods and tragedies and diseases and stuff to try to get humanity to repent, like we see in the book of Revelation, sending all these plagues, trying to get humanity to repent, or just taking vengeance on his enemies and coming to save those that are really with him uh, and, you know, had to kill his own son in order to forgive you and yet orders you forgive without the shedding of blood. <laughs> uh, so we only have that picture that representation of god and so it becomes really easy either that god exists or no god exists no god at all exists and i wonder how many of us have thought about maybe maybe there is a creator maybe there is a source that's nothing like what's been presented to us but because we don't have any other models or uh maps of what that god might be like then we just throw the idea of god out altogether we throw the idea of spirituality out altogether and we go strictly into materialism we go into science we go into what can be seen and what can be touched and what can be proven and what can be repeated and things of that nature. And so it's really easy to understand how we end up in this, in this area. But I want to deal for a second with this whole dualistic concept because it's so embedded in Western thought, Western thinking. So dualism is this idea that there are categories. There's two categories of things based on polarities. But it's not really the same as a polarity. A true polarity is like hot and cold, hot water and cold water. 
you've got when on your you know basic kitchen sink. If you turn it all the way over to the hot, you're going to get the hottest water you can out of your water heater, and that might be too hot to the touch. If you turn it all the way over to cold, you're going to get the coldest water, and that may be too cold for a shower. And then somewhere in between, there's a mixture, a blend. These these things are one in the same. They're just existing on various different polarities, and most of us land somewhere in the spectrum. But when it comes to spiritual things or it comes to a lot of things in our lives, we don't think about dualism in that way, being on a spectrum or being on a polarity. We think about it as either or types of categories. So the classic one is clearly by the time we get to the New Testament, you have a dualistic spirituality. You have uh, God who's all light, who's all love, who's all goodness, who's all justice, who's all power, who's all present. Um, and there's no, uh, what we would call evil in him. There's no darkness in him. I think it's a verse in first John that says, says God is light and in him there is no darkness. And then on the flip side of that, you have the devil, right? You have the devil and his angels and they're just full of malevolence and wickedness and evil. And there's nothing redeemable about them. There is no redemption for them. There is no good in them. And at least in the model of uh, the spiritual world that I was presented and presented for years out of the Bible, there, there was no in between. There was no neutral spirits anywhere. There was no spirits that were part God and part, uh, demon. Uh, except maybe you had humanity in there, but humanity has to face this choice, this very dualistic choice, either or choice of being all good and all light and all love or being all darkness and all wickedness and all sinful and all evil. And there doesn't seem to be any kind of a spectrum or a balance in there. And then we export that dualism. And you'll see this, especially with white Christian nationalism in America, we export that dualistic idea into our thoughts about good and evil. There's absolute moral truths that have to be applied in every situation to every person. There's no room for nuances. Divorce might be a good example of that. Some people, you know, God hates divorce. Divorce is a sin. And there's no level of nuance there. There's no application for what is the result of the marriage. What is the marriage producing? Is it producing benefit, mutual benefit? Is it enhancing and enriching life? Or is one of the partners being abused or one of the partners being neglected or maybe they're just not compatible maybe they got married for sex because they were told that if you had sex outside of marriage that it was a sin and so in their intent to please god and love each other they just uh got married more from a position of lust than a position of love or really compatibility or thinking about the bigger issues and and nuances of marriage uh, uh perhaps uh one of the spouses is being abused emotionally, mentally, perhaps even sexually. There's a lot of sexual abuse that goes on in Christian marriages uh, under the license of the Bible, because the Apostle Paul said in somewhere in First Corinthians, you know, that the, the wife's body does not belong to her alone, but belongs to the man and that you owe each other sort of sexual relations. And so there have been a lot, mostly men, that would abuse that, abuse their wives sexually and use the scripture and use the Bible and use God in order to justify that kind of sexual abuse. And that goes on a lot. I mean, that was something that I encountered, ran into as a pastor. That was something certainly that I've run into and dealt with as a clinical uh, mental health counselor and then just came across a lot of people that experienced that in the religious trauma recovery page 
that I was, or group that I was running for a while with the help of uh, my friend Daryl Carlson. And so in those situations, then is divorce a sin, you know, uh, and, and so this is the problem with absolute morality. There's, there's no room for nuances. There's no room for life to happen. It's just absolutely right or wrong. Sexual orientation is another example of that. Um, you know, somebody that's born with a sexual orientation, that's a same sex sexual orientation and they find themselves only attracted to people sexually that are of the same uh, sex and they're not attracted at all to people that are of the opposite sex, they're expected to fit in. There's no room for them in the morality of the Christian right and the Bible. Uh, I mean, we could argue what the Bible actually says about that, but you get the point that I'm making, like there's no room for them. So you basically, if you're going to be acceptable to God, if you're going to be right before God, then you have to basically take a vow of celibacy for the rest of your life. And those of us that are heterosexual are really not compassionate or feeling towards that because we just have absolutes. We have absolute right, absolute wrong. And again, we try to fit people into these categories. So we end up just memeing each other. We end up just copying each other. We become carbon copies. We think the same. We act the same. We talk the same. We, uh, all of this stuff because we're fitting neatly under this category that we call obedience to God based on what we find written in the scriptures. And then you have this duality of spirit and matter, the spiritual world and the material world, the spiritual world, whatever it is, and the earthly dimension. And that leaves us in real conflict, especially the Christian version of it, because at the end of the day, so much of who you are as a human being is physical. Now, I know my atheist friends would say all of who you are as a human being is physical. But again, to me, that's like having to make those sort of either or kinds of choices. You're, you're just you're siding on the side of materialism against spirituality. And I get that. I understand that. Um, but when we were in the other camp, you know, you had to side with spirituality at the expense of your physical body, at the expense of, um, matter and materialism. We're taught that, you know, the, the sin dwells in our members, the apostle Paul says in Romans chapter seven. And so a lot of these human urges that we get that come from our body, and I'm not just talking about sex or talking about food, but, Things like, uh, that are just generally protective measures. Like you, you come across, uh, someone who's just fallen in hate with you for some reason and they're just bent on causing you harm. They're bent on destroying you. And if you respond to that to protect yourself in the material world, if you respond in a physical altercation, if you respond with some form of violence, if you respond by setting boundaries and putting that person outside of your life because they're bringing more harm to you psychologically, mentally, emotionally than they are bringing help or sustenance to you. That's a, that's a defensive measure. That's a protective measure. That's an evolutionary thing, right? And yet you're taught, no, that's carnal. That's, that's of the flesh, but it deals with out here. If you want to have money, I can't tell you how many Christians that I meet with and talk to that, you know, have done well and been successful in their lives. But they have all this baggage about 
being wealthy. They have all this baggage about their success. They have this sense of obligation that's working inside of them that says, I have to, uh, if I'm going to have wealth, then I have to share it. And they have a hard time saying no when somebody asks for charity or things of this nature. And they feel selfish because that's the material world. So we're told that our bodies are bad. We're told that wealth is bad. The love of money is the root of all evil. We're told that the world itself is completely deceived by the evil one and under the sway of the wicked one. And we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. And so we learn to sort of reject everything on the material side, but then everything on the spiritual side, spiritual gifts, uh, the, the, the power of this supernatural love and grace that uh, we receive, we're, we're supposed to be walking in the spirit and not after uh, the flesh and, and, uh, and then the ultimate goal, of course, is to get out of here. You know, the ultimate goal is to get out of here and not end up in some place of eternal conscious torment, but to end up in this place of eternal life and bliss, total bliss. Like, right. So we see another dualism in heaven in the next life. There's no problems. There's no pressure. There's nothing that might cause us to grow. It's just like the magic pill. Once we die, boom, we're just perfected and we're there with light and joy and, and peace and we experience infinite goodness for an infinite amount of time. On the flip side, if we didn't get our history lesson right about Jesus Christ, we don't believe necessarily the right things about his death, burial, and resurrection, or we don't get baptized the right way, or we believe the right things, but we don't fall into these uh, absolute moral categories and all the important ones, at least, then we find up, we, we end up, you know, finding ourselves in this descent into this horrible place that where there's nothing good, where there's no hope, where there's no light, where it's all pain. Do you see what I'm saying? It, we, we get in these bifurcations of, of that's the right word. I think that's the right word. We get into the, this, this area where it's just all bliss or all the suffering, even in the afterlife. But this, this, world is just a testing ground it's just a proving ground ultimately it could go in the trash can it's not really going to affect anything because the afterlife heaven and hell that's that's where it's at and this this life just gives us a choice to make about whether or not we're going to go to heaven or to hell and so that dualism or dualistic thinking then because it's so embedded in western consciousness tends to show up in any other alternative spiritual path that's out there, uh, whether it be, you know, this idea that we are ascending into another higher density, uh, but this higher density is less material, doesn't exist as much on the material plane, doesn't have these polarities, doesn't have these, pre- these same pressures, or we descend into a darker density, we fall back into a, a different density, and the higher density, of course, is good. The one that escapes this world that gets away from materialism is good. And so we try to do things like kill our ego. Uh, we try to pretend like this reality is just an illusion. It's just something that's made up. But the goal, again, is to get out of here, right? It's to ascend, or maybe it's to go to the fifth dimension where uh, the, the planet is ascending into another dimension. And maybe some of these things are true. Maybe they're not. I'm just making an observation about how we have taken the dualism of Christianity, the either or, the spirit against matter, the life to come versus the life that we're living right now 
is more important. And what we do in this life right now determines where we go in the life to come. Man, that just feels awfully familiar to me. It just feels like the same concept of dualism that has been exported. And what if dualism doesn't exist? What if, what if these things are on a spectrum? What if you, there is no clear cut? Uh, for example, you got your, this part of your history lesson about Jesus, right? You believed in him, but you didn't get baptized, right? There's people out there that think, well, if you didn't get baptized, right? Then you didn't obey the commandments of the Lord. You're going to end up in hell. Well, what about the good that you did? What about the believing that you did? Or let's say that your afterlife is decided on moral grounds. What determines if you're a good person or a bad person? We've all done bad things in our life. We've all hurt people. We've all made mistakes and brought harm. So do we just have to make sure we do more good than we do harm? Uh, and then all the harm just goes away. Or if we do more harm than the good, then all the good goes away and we end up in this fiery place where there is no good and it didn't matter what we did. You, you see how we're, you see what I'm driving at? You see this point that I'm driving home? We just, we put everything into these, this category of dualism and feel like we have to side one way or the other. So a lot of spirituality, most Eastern spirituality, definitely Christianity and a lot of you know, more modern, alternative, holistic, new age forms of spirituality have this component of dualism. And most of them are against matter. Most of them are against the material world. You've got to kill your ego. You've got to crucify your flesh. You've got to uh, look forward to uh, an ascension. You're allowed, you got to keep a high vibration. You're allowed certain things like compassion, 100% good. There's never a time that compassion isn't good. Or is there? Um, but and, and then anger or jealousy or 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 uh, what we might call, you know, a desire for material things that we might call greed. Um, all those things are bad. And so we have to stay out of those vibrations and we have to come up here to these higher vibrations. And then the flip side of this, when you when you're dealing in this kind of dualistic mindset, the flip side of this then is. Full on atheism and materialism where I choose matter now. I choose this material world. This material world is all there is. See, on the other side of this, this, the material world is here. We can't deny it. We have to deal with it, but heaven's all that matters or the next density or the next evolution of, um, our higher consciousness, wh- whatever form that takes in Christianity, it's heaven and, and hell is what's matters. So the afterlife is what, it's all about, and we want to be tapping into that through meditation. We want to be experiencing it more by crucifying the flesh or ridding ourselves of the ego. And so, again, things are set at odds there, right? But then the flip side is, well, if all of that was BS, if all of that was bullshit, and if, you know, it all was just a psychological trick that we were playing on ourselves. All of it was just a con game that we experienced when we were in, like in my case, when I experienced Christianity, if all of it was just a con game, if I was just completely fooled the whole time, if there is nothing metaphysical that's out there that the Bible reflects any grain of truth, then we're going to go full on materialism against spirituality. But see, here's the problem. We go against something else. In in Christianity, we're uh, spirit against we're against immorality. We're against materialism. We're against, uh, you know, being our flesh. We're against the other that's out there, the other 
that doesn't believe and think like us. But then so many people that go into atheism, they go full on materialism. And so now all that matters is what we know scientifically, what can be repeatable, um, what, uh, and again, I'm not, I'm not, criticizing anybody. I don't want anybody to take this personally at all. I'm thinking out loud. I'm processing because I'm an external processor and I'm just inviting you along for the journey. And I haven't done one of these in a while. And so I wanted to do one this morning. Uh, so these are thoughts that I've been having. I'm speaking to myself and how I've thought this through. I'm not directing these comments at anybody specifically at all. Uh, I'm not even trying to say anybody's right or wrong. I'm just trying to make observations. So go into full on Materialism, the only thing that matters is science. The only thing that matters is this material world. The only thing that matters is this physical body. And we, but now we're against spirituality. We've gone full on materialism. And now there is no God. There is no demons or dark entities. There is no angels. There is no, uh, beings out there that we can contact that can in, improve and enhance our lives and now we're fitting into this category of materialism against spirituality and everybody that's on that side now they're the problem they're the problem because they're making us believe delusions making people believe delusions they're creating uh wars and conflicts they are um stuck in unrealities and if they would just get it right then the world would be a better place. It's the same thing. It's the same mentality. And you know what's even worse about it for me? What's worse about it for me is it's another meme. It's, uh, it's another meme. It's just, it, we're just Xeroxing. Now on the, the, that side, that materialistic side, we're all saying the same things about the Bible. We're all saying the same things about God. We're all saying the same things about Judeo-Christian faith. We're all saying the same things about materialism and about science and about evolution. You have a camp over here in a tribe where is there a lot of authenticity? Is there room? And here's how you'll know. Is there room for the opposing voice? Is there room for the opposing opposing viewpoint? Is there room for reevaluation? Or do does that group treat you just like the Christian group did? Oh, no, 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 brother or sister. Well, they wouldn't say that, but friend or comrade in arms or whatever. However, they, they relate to one another. No, 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 no. We think like this. And if you're going to think like this, if you don't think like this, we're going to attack you. We're going to come at you. We're going to, we're going to come, we're going to, we're going to have the same evangelical spirit where we want to convert you to this way of thinking. And if you convert to this way of thinking, you're our guy, man, you're here with us. But if you don't think like this, then we're going to come at you and we're going to attack you and we're going to hit you hard because you're stupid or you're deluded or you're whatever the case may be. So to me, it's, it's the same, it's the same thing. It's just, it's just exchanging one idea for another or one uh, duality for the other. Now, there is no combination of spirit and matter. It's just matter against spirit. And so we, we wind up finding ourselves having to make these dualistic choices when really, if you want to be scientific about it, there's nothing in our world that I can find that exists in a category of dualism in this sense. That's absolutely one thing and not something else. For example, in our DNA, we share, I don't know how many aspects or strands of our DNA is exactly the same as every other mammal on the planet. So even though we are human beings, we're still mammals. Like 
there, there are not these clear cut categories that we can observe out there, but yet internally and subjectively, we create these clear cut dualistic categories and then we force ourselves or we think we have to or we try to or we just want to because it's simpler to fit into one of these categories or the other. It makes relationships easier. I don't have to think as hard. It, it closes the loop for me. I don't have to deal with the unknown or mystery and stuff like that. Let me talk about one other dualism, and this is where I really want to get to because I think this gets to the root of the problem. But, but, but And that is, I want to talk about our consciousness. I want to talk about some dualisms that may actually exist in our minds, in our brains, uh, as part of who we are, not categories that we think about like morality and the stuff, uh, God and the devil and stuff I'm talking about, but just in the way that we're made. Um, but let's talk about the nature of reality for a minute. Because at the end of the day, everybody's reality, everybody's worldview is 100% subjective, 100% subjective. Uh, and there is more that we don't know. There's less that we know than what we don't know. And there are things that exist undoubtedly, and I'll prove it to you in a second with a simple thought exercise. There are things that exist that we have no way of knowing that they exist. And this is my problem on both sides of the camp, you know, why I couldn't stay in evangelical white Christian nationalism and why I couldn't stay in. Uh, uh, and when I say white Christian nationalism, you know, we intermingled a lot with black churches and Hispanic churches and even Asian churches and stuff like that. I just I mean, the mentality, the, the mentality of evangelicalism that permeates our country. So that's what I mean when I talk about that. Um, but I didn't know, you know, that uh, there was this thing out there called the law of one that was a channel work. I didn't know that uh, <clears throat> uh, there were people who believed in God from a more ancient shamanic practice who were love and light people. And by that, I mean, they were genuinely compassionate, good people that uh were benefiting society and benefiting people's lives and <clears throat> even able to demonstrate supernatural stuff that was producing fruit. I didn't know there were people out there that didn't believe in Jesus that were more loving or more compassionate or than, you know, what we thought we were. You see what I'm saying? But let me give you a <clears throat> let me give you a really simple thought experiment. Ex- experiment so that you can understand the completely subjective nature of our consciousness, of our experience, of our reality, the subjective subjective nature of our reality. That's what I want to get to. So um, my kids were off on Friday and stayed home. One of the kids was sick. I spent some time journaling. I spent some time with some clients, had two sessions on Friday that were really good with my clients. Aaron, where are you going with this? Just stay with me. Had uh, two sessions with clients and I felt like my clients really benefited from the time. I really believe. And they said so themselves at the end of the session that they got some growth out of the session, that they got some improvement, that they got some healing. And so I think their lives are going to be better for that. I felt really good about that. Now, 
for everybody else out there, that reality didn't exist. That reality had no existence whatsoever because you experienced your own family. You experienced your own children or not children or your own clients or business or work or life or whatever was going on with you that I have no idea about unless you tell me. And so for all intents and purposes, you don't exist. If I don't know you and you don't tell me about your life and that kind of stuff, for all intents and purposes, you don't exist. I mean, I know there's 9 billion people on the planet, but I don't know your experiences. Your reality does not exist in my reality, just like my reality of what I did on Friday had no existence in your reality at all. I could only tell you about it. I could only tell you about it. You could decide if I was an honest person or a dishonest person. You could decide whether you wanted to listen to that or didn't want to listen to that. And then all that comes into your Your version of reality is a representation of what I experienced. And at best, you can make now evaluations or have some kind of internal conscious interaction with the information that I gave you, which is merely the representation. But to me, it's not a representation. To me, it was my actual reality. Most everybody in our lives are extras. Like you think about it in a movie. They're just extras. They're just out there. Um, You know, I've got... uh, very small circle of very important people in my life that are very important to me. My wife and my kids, my really, really close friends, they're very important to me. I care very much about them. And then I have, uh, you know, coworkers and then I have clients and then I have, um, my Facebook family and my YouTube channel and the people that I interact with on here or on there. And that's it, man. That's the extent of my interaction with people in this world, right? But that's my reality. And so no one knows my children the way I know my children, not even my wife, because she has her own relationship with them. No one knows my friends the way I know my friends. No one knows my clients the way I know my clients. No one knows me the way my friends know me, right? So it's a completely different reality. Now, I could come along and tell you, hey, There's this really cool reality called the Aaron Tomlinson subjective reality. And it's really cool, man. And there's some cool people inside of it. And you ought to check it out. And you could turn around and say, nah, that doesn't exist. That isn't real. He's not a real person. And you see what I'm saying? I'm trying to simplify this, trying to make it simple to help us think through this stuff that we we create these categories for people. You have to fit in here. You have to fit in here. We create this morality for people. You have to do this and not this. <clears throat> and then we're applying it, but we're all applying it from our own subjective reality of what we know and the information that we've been exposed to and the experiences that we've had. And so when I look at my reality, I look back over the last, 50 years of what I can remember of it. <clears throat> and that's, that's kind of a, kind of a does something to your mind too, is that like, even though you've lived most of your life, you've forgotten most of your life. I mean, even though you've lived most of your life, <laughs> even though you've lived all your life, you've forgotten most of it. You've forgotten most of it. So even your own experiences are hidden from you in a lot of ways or distorted because you don't remember exactly how it happened. You ever have a memory that makes an impression on you? You go home and you journal it. And then years later, you've told the story so many times 
And then you're going through your journal and you find that memory and you look at where your journal went and you're like, wow, that's totally different than how I've been telling the story. I've done that many times. And it's scientifically proven that we change a memory every time we talk about it. <laughs> so even, even that stuff we don't know for certain, right? <clears throat> or we've forgotten. Um, so I just want, I'm just sharing that part before I get into this last duality that I want to talk about. I'm just sharing that piece because I'm hoping we can chill out on each other. I'm hoping that we can understand that in a very real sense, my reality is the only reality that exists. Your reality is the only reality that exists to you. Now I'm not saying that you don't exist and I'm not saying your reality doesn't exist, but I'm saying from my perspective, my reality is the only reality that I have. And so, therefore, I have to take responsibility for my reality, and I have to be the shaper of my reality. And at the end of the day, the decisions that I make are going to determine the reality in which I choose to live. And I'm the one that has to live it, not you or somebody else that's out there. And whatever choices someone else makes, to the degree that it doesn't bring you harm, to the degree, degree that it doesn't harm people that you love, to the degree that it does not affect your reality, they have to live in the reality that they've chosen to live in. And so maybe we can just chill out on each other with some of this stuff, right? At least that's kind of where I'm at. But I want to talk about one other dualism, and that's the dualism between the right hemisphere and the left hemisphere of the brain, because this is where I think this whole war between spirituality or knowledge, just knowledge in general, uh, comes into play. The left side of the brain, the left hemisphere of the frontal lobe, is responsible for language, it's responsible for logic. You can keep the L's. Left language, left logic, left linear thinking. This is a really crude model because you do use both sides of your brain when you're doing those activities. You do. They interact with each other. But at the end of the day, the language centers and stuff are in the left side of the brain. And the only way we can interact as a species, the way we do, is through language. So when I told you about my day on Friday... I was giving you a, re- a representation of my reality, and that's all you could have. You could have a representation, a thumbnail sketch in words of my reality. I could describe for you in language a reality that previously did not exist to you to give you a representation of that reality. And because of the supremacy of language <clears throat> and the way it works in human beings, the human race especially in the Western world, leans really heavy on the left side of the brain or the brain in general. Logic, linear, I mean, science is 100% a left brain activity. Using language to describe hypothesis, using logic, looking at things in a linear, typically in a linear fashion, things like that. The right side of the brain is more holistic. The right side of the brain is the artistic brain. The right side of the brain thinks in images and pictures and thinks more like a collage than like in steps. And also, more than likely, the right hemisphere and definitely the heart are involved in the intuitive ways of knowing. And so here's another dualism that we fall into. I'm going to go only with what's logical. I'm going to go only with what's linear. I'm going to go with only that which I can understand and describe in words, and that's how I'm going to choose to live my life and make my decisions. And I'm going to totally block out the intuitive ways of knowing. And the odd thing about this is that there are lots of 
lots and lots and lots of scientific evidence out there for the validity of the intuitive ways of knowing. But setting science aside, what am I talking about when I talk about the intuitive ways of knowing? Just an inner knowing, thinking about someone and they that you haven't seen in years and they contact you or they call you and that happens on a relatively consistent basis. Having a dream and something that you dreamt happens the next day or the next month or something like that. Um, having flashes of vision or just having any form of precognition where you can know something before it takes place. The intuitive ways of knowing, the psychic ways of knowing, uh, presuming there are things out there, presuming there is life after this life and the ability to contact departed loved ones or for departed loved ones to contact you. Um, <clears throat> the ability to know things. One of the things that comes to mind is famously or infamously, however you choose to look at it, uh, Abraham Lincoln dreamt about his death a number of times and had it in his journals uh, right before it happened. There was a precognition there. There was an intuitive way of knowing. And that comes from the heart. So here's where I'm going to finish this. Like, do we live out of our heads? Do we live out of our hearts? Because the heart has its own intelligence. There have been a number of, I mean, this is really well known uh, when it comes to things like heart transplants and stuff like that. It's not, I mean, there are multiple examples out there. There's a whole literature. There's a lot of literature out there on heart transplants where people take on the characteristics of the person whose heart they received. They, in some cases, even take on the memories of the person whose heart they received. There have been a number of cases where someone received a heart from a murder victim and they began to dream about the murder and could describe the events of the murder and in a couple of cases even lead uh, to the capture of, of the killer. Um, or they switch sexual orientations. They get an orientation, they have one sexual orientation, and they get a new heart. Now they've switched sexual orientations after the heart transplant, things of that nature. We know that the vagus nerve, that there's more information, there's more neural activity going from the heart to the brain through the vagus nerve than there is coming from the brain down to the heart. And we talk about it in our language, right? Like have an open heart towards this person or that person broke my heart or uh, my heart is swelling whenever I see my kids or someone that I love. You know, so we talk about it and have for millennia, I suppose, talk about the emotional side of life from the heart. The left brain has no heart, man. The left brain has no heart. The left brain just figures things out. It's very linear, very logical. And if we're living out of that, then we're just choosing another, we're just choosing another dualism. We're just choosing another duality. So to bring this all home, here's my goal. Here's where I want to be. Here's where I want to live. I have been fascinated with this idea because light and dark have served as metaphors for me in my life as a Christian. Um, Light representing good, dark representing evil under that Christian paradigm. And this, this need that we have to choose one or the other. And then we just meme each other. We just copy each other. We just become cut out versions of, of each other. Um, what about meeting in the middle? What, what about finding a balance? I mean, I know people that 
you know, they're so far into the intuitive ways of knowing that they've lost connection with the left brain. And so you can't share facts with them. You can't share logic with them. You can't, they can't think strategically in linear thought of steps and stuff like that. And so there's parts of their life that's suffering and not successful. They can't communicate with other people if they're not communicating around their spirituality. So they're hampered, even disconnected from language and the ability to connect and represent realities through language. And so my goal is to find a balance in these things, right? Like, like how can I find a balance where I can draw back on the benefits of spirituality that I had when I was hardcore into Christianity without the rejection of the material self and without the rejection of this world, but balancing it, uh, doing that sort of balancing act and yet not get so far into the material world that I'm rejecting the spirituality aspects, but bringing those two aspects of my, my subjective reality together into some kind of a balance um, and being able to balance the left brain logical thinking with the holistic, uh, creative and artistic right side of my brain, that part of me, being able to balance, um, my heart and the experiences of the heart, the knowledge of the heart, the wisdom of the heart with the executive functions of the brain, just kind of finding this way to walk this balanced existence, to give thought to perhaps uh, the way I live my life now is going to have some bearing on any existence that I might have after this body uh, is no longer viable. Um, but not so much emphasis on that that I don't get the fullest out of this life that I'm living right now, this material existence that I'm living right now. So anyway, I, I don't know if anybody even watched this because I'm just doing this on Zoom. I'm not looking at comments or anything like that right now. Um, so if you did take time out to watch this or if you're watching the replay, I appreciate it. Uh, those of you that have stayed with me through this journey, that have allowed me to be human, that have allowed me to make mistakes, that have not withdrawn yourself from me in a dualistic way because I didn't fit into your category or I didn't take your off-ramp on this journey that we call deconstruction. Uh, even people that I, that I, you know, I went through a really rough, angry stage for a while. It's part of the grieving process. You know, I was grieving a lot. I was grieving the loss of a career. I was the loss of dreams, the loss of friendships, the loss of my idealism about humanity, you know, having my eyes open to how genuinely um, corrupt we can be as human beings and how horrible we can be to each other and have been throughout human history and just wrestling with so many questions and doubts and things like that. And so for those of you that have stuck around, those of you that have, have given your support, those of you that have continued to support us financially through all of this, um, you mean the world to me. And uh, I just want to thank you for giving me this time. This was helpful for me. This is kind of like self-therapy for me. Um, but I'd love to hear your comments on this. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. 
And, uh, hopefully I'll be doing some more of these going forward. So, uh, anyway, uh, hopefully be sharing some of the things I've learned and some of the ways that I've been able to balance these things out. Hopefully that'll be of benefit to you. So anyway, love you guys and, uh, hope you have a great, great rest of your day, evening, uh, morning, whatever time you're watching this. Um, thanks for spending your time with me.